intrepid <laughs> listeners. Welcome to Everything Trying to Kill You, the podcast that analyzes but also talks mad shit about all your favorite horror movies. I'm Mary. I'm Mary Kay. And today we're getting right down to brass hooks <laughs> about that old chestnut candy man. I thought it was brass tacks. It is. Oh. But we're talking about candy man. I'm so stupid. So Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> just cut that eric cut no that. leave it in forever <laughs> sorry i'm stupid uh, as an especially sweet treat we're joined by one of the smartest baddest sexiest voices on the horror scene today zena dixon the real yeah. queen of horror <laughs> <laughs> Well, you guys can find me at realqueenofhorror.com. You can find reviews, interviews, a whole bunch of random stuff that I had there. Been doing this website for a long time. Um, and then also, I recently started doing YouTube videos again, so you can just search Real Queen of Horror. Ooh. And we're going to link to it in our show notes, too, so they can easy access Yay. to it. have to remember, they can just go. We're going to take your notes for you, listeners. <laughs> That's right. That's, That's right. right. And then you can be... On the level you can be with the cool kids. Yeah, speaking of cool kids, so y'all, I saw Tony Todd at Days of the Dead convention in Atlanta this past weekend. And first of all, I was so starstruck. I was like, oh my God, oh my God. Um, But um, also, we're recording on February 13th. So, um, he did not reveal what role he would have in the remake mm-hmm. as of that day. So if you know and you're like, what? They know. Then it's because we're recording on the 13th. But when I saw him at Days of the Dead, he said that he had the original coat and hook, and this is a quote, in storage somewhere, if that matters. And the whole crowd, like, gasped because... Yes, it fucking matters. Like, yeah, it matters. So our icebreaker is, what historical period's clothing would you dress up in if you were a boogeyman? Zena, do you want to go first, since you're our lovely guest? Sure. Um. Okay, well, um. honestly, I've always had a thing for those little fans. Remember those fans mm. that the ladies would carry? And it's just like, okay, mm. not only is it very classy and girly, but, you mm. know, it's useful because I live in Florida and it's hot. So mm-hmm. either that or like a, a pocket watch. I don't know. But then again, I really don't use my pockets. We don't really <laughs> yeah. have pockets that are usable as women. Right. So. You don't. So, yeah. so you, I mean, even if they're like deep enough to be functional and like in the right spots, they then make the, your clothing look like garbage. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like you have like phone shaped fat lumps yeah, or something. It's like you're carrying actual cargo. <laughs> you put stuff yeah. in your pockets that's so fucking unfair man like a dude puts a dude could put just like straight up pepperoni like loose pepperoni (laughs) in his cargo pockets and look fine i could put like paper clips in mine and it would look like i'm smuggling loose pepperoni (laughs) oh mary what historical period of clothing would you wear (laughs) easy I would go like late nineties, early aughts, like Spice Girls, Delia's, yes, oh. because that's how I wanted to dress, and my parents would not let me. 
wear entirely velour shimmer. I did wear the butterfly clips and the twists all the time. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Brown lip gloss all day. I still rock a brown lip, man. I think it looks great. It doesn't look, look good on me. Look. How is that possible? We have the same coloring. I don't know. My mom always just says, what is, ugh, no, go change. <laughs> That's like an exact quote so for So I still... I still wear a brown lip, and I love it. What I don't do anymore is the frosted brown lip. Oh, yeah, I, I did wear that. it to my eighth grade formal. Yeah. I will find the picture, and we will share it on Instagram. Did you, uh, do, did you just do the lip liner with the frost, like Aaliyah? No, that, okay. I, wasn't allowed to wear, I wasn't allowed to wear anything except lip gloss until gotcha. I was, like, 17. Oh, okay. I wasn't allowed to paint my nails any color except clear until then, either. Whoa. Yeah. I I was going to paint my fingernails, but my mom told me if I ever see your nails chipped, I'm throwing away every bottle of polish in the house. Holy hell. I know. Yep. That would have worked on me, man. I wanted to paint my nails so bad and I wasn't allowed to do anything. So now I have my nails done all the time and I wear bright red or like dark purple. I, I only mm-hmm. wear bold lips. Right. Like it didn't. It didn't work. Also, I filled my head with piercings and I covered my body in tattoos. Like, great job, parents. Right. Yeah. Good thing you didn't let me wear. Correction. <laughs> Good thing you didn't let me like pencil in my eyebrows until actually no, it, was, it, was the, <laughs> it was the late nineties, early aughts. If they let me, I probably would have tweezed them off. So that, oh, that's, that's what the I best. did. Yeah, I did yeah. that. They were real thin. But I just think it would be so unexpected for a boogeyman. That's true. To like be wearing like a massive Skechers platforms. Yeah. And like. A handkerchief top. Mm-hmm. You would seem more like a friend. Low-rise cargo pants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the the twists and the butterfly clips in my hair. Mm-hmm. You would. Yeah. You would definitely seem more like a friend. Like they people would want to hang out with you, not be scared of you. So. Exactly, and that's how I get them. <laughs> I think that I would wear if I was a boogeyman, and this is going to come as a surprise to no one, but mm-hmm. uh, velvet. All the time. Just only velvet? Mm-hmm. Like, I'd be wearing velour because 90s. You'd be wearing velvet. Yeah. Yeah. Velvet, yeah. like, just starlet with a fur collar and those nonsensical mules with the fuzz over the top of them. They're like house slippers, but they're still high heels, which make no fucking sense at all. Like, only Rita Hayworth can walk in those. That's why if I was a boogeyman, I could do whatever do I want. But I would have actually... like, yeah, because I would have. But I would also have like fabulous Tracy Ellis Ross hair all the time. That's my sister's actual hair. Anyone wonder <gasps> I, I hate her? People have what it for monster. real, and it. I'm trying. I got her new products, and uh, they're good. I gotta. You know, you gotta adjust the amounts that you use based on yeah. what the products yeah. are. So there's a learning curve. That's why I look like uh, Lydia Dietz right now with these <laughs> real tight bangs. But uh, yeah, and that's what the, I would dress like. The ingredients list on those looks great. They smell about, great too. I was thinking about trying them because you know I'm I've I've had my like go to products for forever, but mm-hmm. I'll always try something. You know what's funny? Um, just taking a step back with Candyman's coat. I was just tweeting about that last night because I rewatched um, the movie. And, you know, that is a fabulous coat that he has. If I were him, I would still wear it. It seems like it's Me a too. good time. I mean, that had to have been custom made, too. The man is like, what, six 
five, six, six. Six, six, five, I think, yeah. Wow. Yeah, so that had to be, for that to be a duster on him. Mm-hmm. There's no way they bought that off the rack somewhere. Like, that was tailored. I mean, they're always tailored, but, like, that had to have been what built from scratch right. for him. Yeah. It is fantastic, though. And, like, I would totally wear that shit. That's kind of what I'm rocking, right? Because he's wearing purple, right? The super dark purple. Oh, I and thought I liked it, this. Is it? I thought it was black. Yeah, I thought it was black. It's a real, it's a really dark purple. I actually changed. I'd read somewhere that it was purple, so I kind of clicked through my color settings. And in some of them, I was like, "Oh, that's way more obvious." But this robe is like it looks black to you guys, I know, but it is oh. um, like brown purple. It's like eggplant leaning a little brown. Aubergine, like, if you will. Aubergine. <laughs> um, so I'm wearing my my Candyman robe as we record. Oh, I was sorry. I'm sorry. I was not clear. I would wear a 30s style robe. Not like I don't want to have to. <laughs> I thought you just meant like yeah, velvet, that's... like like stuck to your body. <laughs> I thought you meant just like velvet pants or a velvet top, just velvet anything. No, velvet. sorry. I just want like a 1930s style one of those like dressing gowns that fit just so and they have like that big bow in the front and they open like a little bit too much. <laughs> and then when you when you walk down a staircase in those nonsense shoes that it like opens so your legs show a little. You Hence the mention about? of Rita Hayworth, yes. Yeah. Basically I wanna be Rita Hayworth. <laughs> That's a bookie man. Um so that would be perfect. I can, that's actually, the, of all my robes, that's the kind, I don't have one of those. I have a, I have a long, like, intense, like, more formal-looking kimono. I have a littler kimono. formal kimono robe. I, I do. It's real silk. It's red with gold trim. It's magnificent. <laughs> I have this big furry one. I have my Sith Lord one, my gray one. You are really... You invested in that particular <laughs> article of clothing. <laughs> I love robes. They're my favorite. Should we talk about the movie? I think Xena was trying to segue us. No, just no, no. <laughs> oh, dear heart. No, and I wasn't. I just, because it's like, I just said something so random. I realized that I was just like, yeah, I carry on a fan. It's just because I was trying to go, <laughs> I was trying to go back and say, well, with, you know, Candyman with that coat, that's like epic. Yeah. So it's just like, it is. you know, this way it's like, yeah. whoa, I could wear anything, but I'll always have a fan. You know, I'm more of an accessory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. Okay. I like, that. well, it's, it's flexible. It's flexible. It also makes you, it makes you kind of a, it reminds me of, you know, how in a, in like Sixth Sense, you didn't know what you were going to see, but you knew it was coming because you'd see the red. Yeah. I kind of like the idea that like I could be interacting with you. I wouldn't know you're the boogeyman until you go, exactly. the fan folds out. And then I'm like, oh no. <laughs> i'm already fucked (laughs) oh god yeah such an amazing realization (laughs) i'm just picturing that in a movie that would be such a good time character said that before oh no (laughs) that's just what i say every time i try to stand up after five drinks That's what Mary Kay said at Tampa when she had those jello shots and then she tried to walk, she tried to walk to the bar. Aww. Oh, yeah. First night when it was dead. That's where we she, met Zena, listeners. We met her at 
spooky empire on like well i think we met you day after halloween because yes. halloween we drove down there. It was that first night yeah yeah but was... i do remember being like that's gotta be her look at her shoes they're amazing <laughs> gotta be her. every every day though oh thank you yeah. so much where yeah like I, I just feel like every time you buy a pair of shoes could you like send me the link and be like this yes is on deck. i would love to it's like i i try to tell my sisters about it they don't care i try to tell my husband he doesn't care and i never have anyone that cares we care. so you can we care about shoes and we care about shoes gonna very send much. us the links to her robes yes <laughs> <laughs> I will. And I'll I send will. you pictures from the fabric aisle of Joanne's fabrics. <laughs> just velvet. What if you were just like carrying like. <laughs> just one of those whole rolls. A whole of velvet of fabric or whatever they call it. Yeah. And that, that was your velvet. Like you were just dressed the way you're dressed right now, but like carrying velvet. Yeah. Yes. What if the velvet were your weapon and you bludgeoned people with it? Amazing. Like in, um, in Horse Girl when she... Well, you guys haven't seen that probably. No, not yet. Um, it's a, it's like the velvet, we, we could call it like the, the velvet kiss, but really it's just you like, ah, ah, <laughs> yeah. ah. <laughs> All of Mary's hair just went into her mouth with <laughs> so She was true. doing that. <laughs> it's so true. Let's talk about uh, the movie. I'm ready to talk fine. about the movie. Fine, fine. Okay, 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 okay. So, as we usually like to begin these conversations, Candyman. Is it scary? Mary Kay just took the biggest gulp of wine. <laughs> well, Zena, do you think it's scary? I do still think that it's scary. When I um first watched it, I was five. I have no idea. Oh, damn. Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> yes. My mom. Blame her. But uh, yeah, I remember I, I watched it and I was so terrified, but I loved it. It was just, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. horrifying. Then, you know, I like to watch it, honestly, like at least every year, because I feel like it's one of those movies where it's like, it's still, um, it's still very scary. You know, it's like, I don't feel, I feel like it aged very well because I'm, I'm not five anymore. So, you know, and I'm still like creeped out by it. And I don't know if any of you ever tried like, you know, to do, you know, or say Candyman in the mirror. Or oh, Blood hell Mary. no. Hell no. Bitch. Yeah. No way. <laughs> that was my ultimate, like when I was a little kid, you know, all the like urban legends, all the, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, like, like slumber party style ghost stories, right? Yeah, that's right. when I would it, call my daddy. Daddy, come get me. They're trying to summon the occult. They're trying to do light as a feather, stiff as a board. Come get me. Come pick me up. I didn't, light as a feather or whatever, that didn't, that never really bothered me because I was just like, this is trash. It doesn't work. But um, I, the, the Bloody Mary specifically fucked me all the way. I get freaked. I've never done it. And I still will not be in a, in a small space with a mirror with the lights off. My bedroom is big enough that that's fine. But like a bathroom, mm-hmm. like closet, like anything, anything smallish like that. If there yeah. is a mirror, and like I could not be like out of the line of view of the mirror. Mm-mm. And I, I'm not going to turn the lights off before I leave the space. No, I hate that. Especially because I wear contacts. So most of the time when it's dark and I'm in the bathroom, I can't really see. Mm-hmm. In the mirror. So mirrors are one of my irrational fears. Also parking decks. And I wrote down when when she goes into that parking deck, I was like, are you fucking kidding me? The, both <laughs> of them. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. Mm, Everything get in the car, I hear. Get in the... Mm, Helen, what are you doing, bitch? What are you doing? Helen. 
Helen. Helen is both, I feel like she's a great example of like white hubris and like white awareness. Like in some ways she is so like conscious. Yeah. Of her, her like existence in, in this space and these in these communities. And in some ways it's just like, bitch, someone died here. Stop yeah. playing tourist. On the yes, other hand, I like I understand like what, yeah, she, like I understand both. what she's trying to accomplish. Yeah. Also, like, oh my god, like there, there are definitely times where I'm like, I just, I just, I just, I just, just a little bit, Helen. And then times I'm like, right, Helen, like, go for it a little harder. So, did we all agree that this was scary? Holy yes. shit! Yeah. Okay. It was. This was exactly the movie when. I, so I used to not watch horror movies, right? Before I was somehow you know, hypnotized into doing this podcast. And you're welcome. <laughs> you candy man to me. Um, fun fact, they actually hypnotized Virginia Madsen for several of those scenes where she was like under a candy man's spell. Yeah. She was actually hypnotized in some of those shots. Wow. What? Yeah. Raises some real weird questions around like consent and Yeah. Anyway, she she looks back at that as like there were times that she was okay with it and she felt like it really made for a great shot and there were a couple of scenes where she's like mm, I wish we had not done that. Um so yeah, but before I joined the show, I was like, "No, horror movies scary. This is exactly the kind of thing I had in mind." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where like things jump out, go boo, there's blood. Also, there's like this very real psychological horror element of like nobody believes me he just keeps trapping me in these circumstances like i'm being double gaslit Mm -hmm. by my boyfriend and my phantom of the opera this is exactly what i was like i can't handle it but i actually i loved it i did not expect to enjoy it as much as i did i thought it would age more poorly than it has i had a really good time uh, yeah i thought it did okay age aging wise Mm -hmm. i have a couple notes for jordan peele so whenever for the remake does the next uh, um, installment? Iteration. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, number one, could a grad student ever have afforded an apartment like that with a view like that in Chicago? And what is she studying? Isn't she studying anthropology? So no, my answer is no. Then. But she's married to the professor, right? So the, I, the tenured guy. I always thought that Trevor was paying for it. Yeah, I thought that was Trevor's place that she had like buried into okay well um all right um okay that was my interpretation um gross trevor oh my trevor fucking trevor but it's like i really wanted to talk about stacy stacy was disrespectful like i was fucking respectful okay i'm gonna jump ahead because i always thought that this was this was funny but it also made me mad because it's like she would have got slapped so uh-huh. when when Helen came back after a month and Stacy's in her apartment painting yeah. her walls pink, that pink oh, was so no. gross. Did you see the color? It's so Pepto-Bismol. get your pussy, get your pussy off my exactly. wall. Exactly. So then, Candyman, bring your hook. We're gonna tear this bitch up. She should have my kitchen that color. Fuck you. Exactly, Stacy. She should have summoned Candyman then and there. But the thing mm-hmm. that made me laugh is that she didn't even have to say anything. She walked in. She just said, get out. 
Stacy turned around automatically crying because she yep. knew. She knew what she was doing. Like she, <laughs> yeah, she did. She knew. I she was laughing knew. so hard because she I would have slapped her. I would have attacked her. You could call me Trevor all you want. <laughs> but yeah, but you know, Trevor, he's gross, he's disgusting, you know, but that's the thing. Fuck a Trevor. You want you want to sleep with Trevor? That's exactly. fine. But to paint my kitchen. <laughs> This is where I roast my fucking chicken, you dumb slut. This is the hill we die on. This is the hill we die this on. This is the one. We have so many hills that we would die on. At this point, it looks like it's like it's more like a like a it's ski just slope like full Vlad of moguls. The came through. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yes. Okay, so that was my first issue with the aging. Okay. Uh, we talked about Trevor needs to be struck from the record. Number three, and this is a one of my typical questions about the convention, is and I, I could have just missed this, but I did not understand why he was initial initially named Candyman. I don't think I ever really. That's weird. I feel like I should have noted that. I remember them tracing it all the way back to the like the right. genesis what? of Candyman's story. And I, I know that he was covered in honey, mm-hmm. which I think is the closest. That might be right. That also, I, just that. Candy man is kind of a scary sounding thing, you know, like we're talking about, you know, 80s, 90s, right? So we're, we're well past the point of thinking that adults are nice to children, Mm -hmm. or strangers are okay. And strangers with candy specifically are scary. So So I don't know, it might have just been like a... Just, it kind of evolved like an urban legend does. That's... That's what I would guess. I don't know. I, okay. Zena, do you know something I don't there? I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you guys. I thought it did have something to do with um, with the honeybees. And I think okay. that mm-hmm. they mentioned something in the sequel. Like, they try to oh, tell okay. more of his backstory in, in the sequel. Um, but yeah, I've always wondered that as well with okay. the name. Um, I'm okay with it not having a reason. I just didn't know if I missed it. Because it's right. such a good name right. that it's fine with me. Mm-hmm. Um also, my my last request is for the remake. Can we get Tony Todd in better lighting? Because that's a beautiful man. Truly, he is. And just in some of the scenes, I was like, "Oh, look how oh his skin is so like beautiful." And then in some of them, I was like, "Why does she look amazing and he looks all dried out?" And I think it's just so, like we got to develop that lighting a little. All of the all of the techniques for for lighting. Right, mm-hmm. for to to light correctly so that the camera captures the image the way it is experienced by the eye in person. All mm-hmm. of those techniques, all of the color balancing, everything is designed around lighting white people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, the darker That's the actor. That's why I'm asking. Can the darker please... the lighter, darker the actor, the and the older the the movie or TV show, the less likely they are to be. Well, because it's something that lighting um, technicians have had to, cinematographers have had to figure out for themselves just through experimentation. So you watch something like Insecure and you realize, oh, "Oh, I just never. I was just going to reference that article that we read about like having the makeup that reflects the different. Yeah. Like I've just, I've never seen black people lit beautifully before in my life. That's what's going on. That's what's going Mm -hmm. on here. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Because there's a lot of stuff that's been avoided just like kind of on principle because this hypothetically wouldn't work or shouldn't work instead of examining like, okay, well let's figure out what, if that is true, then 
what's the inverse? Let's try that. And let's just keep mm-hmm. picking away at it until we figure it out. Because clearly it's possible. Like, yeah. there's, there's, at this point, there is a good, like, kind of arsenal of movies and TV shows to reference and say, okay, like, we don't have to look like ash and trash. Like, our, our, yeah. our skin can be just as beautiful on film as it is in person. Um, but you have to do it on purpose. Yeah. Because everything you've been taught up until this point is going to get in your way. That makes sense to me. And honestly, like, those small things were really the only things that didn't age well to me. Like, I had some other issues with, like, the convention or, like, how things tie back in. But those were the only things, I think, that apartment and the lighting <laughs> of of him specifically were the only things where I was like, y'all got to do better with this. I've always felt that the, um, with the lighting... Um, that it, it did always thinking back on it, it looks very, like very gray, you know, yeah. but I think that that was, I took that as, you know, it being, you know, from the nineties, but you're right mm-hmm. though. I do think that the lighting, it was done more like with, um, by white people and they probably didn't know how, or they didn't think there was a problem with yeah. it. Um, because, it's, it's still taught that way. Right. Like I, I just learned basic film lighting, like, mm-hmm. you know, a few months ago. And our teacher had to tell us point blank, like, if you are working with actors in your projects who are not white people, like, straight up, please talk to me so that I can help you make adjustments to all of this. Because everything that your book says, everything that I'm telling you is, like, that's the base of knowledge we're all Mm -hmm. working from. But we need the base to be from here to here. And we're still figuring out all of this. And that is why my yearbook pictures always look like shit. My freshman year of college during our like theatrical lighting seminar, I took a, a lighting seminar. One day in class, uh, she had uh, Bruce Bundy, who you've all probably seen in The Hunger Games, and myself up, stand up um, on the stage. So uh, Bruce is, she's like super fair, super blonde, and I... I look like I do and I was the darkest person in the room which is already a problem and she was the lightest so she put the lights on us and said alright who are you looking at and everyone was like hmm close and she was pointing out that you know like literally that human being reflects more light than I do so you need to make conscious choices in costuming in lighting in staging Mm -hmm. if Mary's the star and that's where our eye needs to be that you need to be pushing our eye there because our knee-jerk reaction is to look at the brightest spot on stage and even with less light hitting her skin she's reflecting more of it and it was a little grim but also yeah thanks for okay thank you for pointing out that teach thing is she's she's right and i would definitely rather a teacher says like hey do this on purpose understand that this is like the physics of the thing and then design didn't you say you were in like high school uh, I was a freshman year of college. Oh, well, all right. That's a little better. No, no, no. I mean, it was, it was, it was valuable, but also I do remember thinking at the time, not like, wow, I'm so offended, but like, dear God, why am I the darkest person in this room? That's fucking terrible. Mm. <laughs> I'm also the darkest that. person in the room. The room is not doing great. Right. I, I do remember, but it's like, what's crazy is I know that that's something that they're, they're still being taught today because I do have a brother-in-law who's, who's actually in, um, and film school but the thing mm. is um there are obviously you know there are ways to um be able to like have like the lighting perfect for darker tones 
Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, we saw that with Jordan Peele's uh, movie Get Out as an example. We saw that with us. Oh, yeah. You know, so it's yeah. just like, I know that Candyman will be great, but I remember um, when I was in, I think I was in high school, like my senior year of high school, we actually had like, um, one of the producers came in from the movie Hitch. You guys remember that movie? Cool. Yeah. yeah, it was, it was really yeah, cool. Yeah. So he was teaching us, and he was, I don't know why, but he was just teaching us about different lighting techniques and, and everything. And he used me as an example, another girl who was white, and then kind of like a, um, this girl, she was kind of like a, a tanner type of color, you know? Like me. Yes, like you. And so with, <laughs> with each one, he was able to have the light be on us perfectly, you know? Mm-hmm. Because I am like a darker tone. So it's like, I know that that's possible. And obviously that was like back in like 2005. Yeah. So the fact that yeah, it's it a matter of back then, you know, I, I know that it's possible. A part of me wonders too, if sometimes if certain people, if they care, you know? Right. They, they exactly. That's what I'm going to say. It can be done. It's a matter of do you want to do it? Are you going to put in the, the effort? Right. If you don't already know how, you have to learn. You have to figure it out. You have to be willing to maybe suck at it a few times while you figure it out. You have to be willing to humble yourself to ask somebody who's already doing it well right, to teach you. And um, if you're not willing to do that, then sure, you can dismiss it as this is the way it's always been done. But that's been used to justify a whole bunch of bullshit. One of the scariest things about this movie for me was the entire like kind of act to devolvement of Helen's life um, Ugh, regarding like the yes. misperceptions about her and that kind of being framed by misperceptions around the residents of Cabrini Green. Like so much of this movie is about other people making assumptions. That was very scary to me that all Candyman had to do to really, really fuck up Helen's life was leave. He just kept leaving the scene of the crime mm-hmm. and making sure that she was the one standing there. I'm sorry. I always thought that was hilarious. I know that's, a, that's a horrible way to look at it, but the particular scene. No, I, like, I, I, think I know what you mean, That it was just like, it was, I mean, I definitely like absurdity laughed or like upset laughed at times when I was like, oh my fucking God, like, this is like the fourth time he's done this to you, bitch. What is happening? Like, it's, maybe you are responsible, except that, of course, she isn't. He's a... Demon, demonic he's a he's a entity he's a thing he's a candy man and he's doing this to her on purpose so he's a- i i do think that you know she a part of me feels like helen didn't deserve this but at the same time he pretty much told her why he was doing it she called to him mm-hmm. she asked mm-hmm. for it then yeah, the thing that's right. is, yeah. the thing is too like i was talking to one of my friends um if he's listening named brandon he likes to call Candyman. <laughs> he said that he likes the title of the movie Candyman, but instead he would call it Black People Try to Tell You, Helen, because it's true. Black people. <laughs> so true. Every we did say. Person, we did say. We told you. Like every single time, like, you know, when you think about, um, who was it? Henrietta and and um, the, the other woman, like the cleaning woman. Oh, um, hold on. I've got their names. Oh. Um, Henrietta and Kitty. Yes. Those were the the cleaning women. They tried to tell her. Jake tried to tell her. And it's like, she just didn't want to listen. So at this point, it's like, you know what? You're one of those people where it's like, you have to learn. And so that particular scene when she's, um, she's in that psychiatrist's office or, or 
mm-hmm. that guy's office and she's it's been like a month and she's been there for a month and like you know he Candyman kills the guy brutally like guts him from behind mm-hmm. and then he then he lets her loose and then he bursts through the windows like I thought that was funny because once again you are being caught like when are you going to listen like at this point and I, <laughs> she called him again because she wanted to prove a point. And I know it's like, oh, yeah. no one's going to believe you. But you do know he's going to kill again. And then you're the only one there. Right. So it's like a part of me feels bad for her. Because, of course, I would not want that to happen to me at all. Mm. But would I call him? No. No, I like, would never no, have summoned him. That's, that's not my idea my of a, like. Come get me. Yeah, that's not my idea of a girl's night in. Like, hey, ladies, let's huddle <laughs> in the bathroom. Blood oaks. Let's just drown our sims in the right? pool like normal teenage girls. <laughs> It's just yeah. Let's like. It's terrible. Let that just. Uh... Yeah, and I also so one of the things I think that reaffirms Helen's misperception is that first of all she grooms Jake to show her Candyman, mm-hmm. which on the one hand I was like, oh that's real slick, Helen, and then on the other hand I'm like. You tricked him, and then he got mad at her in the police station. Remember mm-hmm. when he was like, mm-hmm. you told me that you weren't going to do that. So I yeah. think that she kind of got some vindication when Candyman, the gangster, comes in, right, who is, like, playing off of that urban legend, and mm-hmm. he's real, and then she's like, oh, I just saved this community. And his coat sucked, by the yeah, way. Yeah, and his did. coat was the worst. <laughs> and he had, what, like, a bike hook terrible. stuck in a pencil sharpener? <laughs> You know that kid, that kid who played Jake. Uh, first of all, it's a fantastic performance. I'm really fussy awesome. about yes. child yeah. actors, and he's great. Also, apparently, he and Virginia Madsen got so close because all of his scenes were with her. Like Aww, those scenes yeah. outside the bathroom, she would like she would like wrap him up in her coat because it was freezing cold because they're in Chicago. Aww. Oh yeah, isn't that sweet? So I like sweet. That. I like to hear that a child actor say. on a terrifying movie. Had a good experience. He did do a good job. Uh, he did say, he did say, they all did say, and that's, so even, and what's funny is that, uh, so her best friend um, actually her. tells her, even though her best friend, who is uh, Bernadette, has no, no like special knowledge beyond Helen's. Right. Like she did not grow up in this community. She like, even right. she tells her like, yeah, let's like leave this one alone. Ooh, I changed let's my back mind. Off. I want her hair in my boogeyman scenario. That's fair. Yeah, she has fabulous hair. She really does. Okay. Yeah, her death was probably the one. Oh, yeah, by the way, guys, we're going to keep spoiling this for you. Her death was the one that I was like, no. I know. The whole time I was like, why isn't this Bernadette's story? Oh, let me tell you. The original myth, right? Mm -hmm. So so actually, uh, Clive Barker set this in Liverpool, the book, like the story. Uh It's set in his, his, you know, native land so everyone was white i'm pretty sure or you know it was mostly white and when they moved the story to chicago and moved the neighborhood to cabrini green it made more sense for pretty much everyone to be black Hmm. and that's why bernadette is black because originally sometimes i feel that sorry that's part of the reason helen that's part of the reason helen is white is that she always was Oh. And in shifting the story, it kind of they kind of that dichotomy presented mm-hmm. like some story opportunity. Mm-hmm. I was gonna say sometimes I feel like Bernadette that she was a little bit ignored. 
um, not only by Helen, it was just kind of like, she kind of like disregarded her feelings. And it just seemed like Bernadette was like a, a yes man, you know, like she was kind of a follower. She would just do it. I remember Helen says to her when they're driving to Cabrini Green, oh, let's just write a hand in a paper or something. I would have been like, okay. You know, but then she's like, she doesn't say anything. And then they go and it's like, if you don't want to be there, then don't be there. And it's like, she's a, she's an adult. You know what I mean? It's not like they're teenagers. So I don't know if it was peer pressure, but then even when they get there, there's like these black guys who are outside, they don't really address Bernadette, which is so weird. Then even when they meet Anna um, or Anne Marie, she doesn't really talk to her like that. So it's just like a disregard. And I feel bad for her. Like I, I felt bad for her and everything. But at the same time, like, you knew who you were friends with. Like, my thing is, like, even when she said, like, the like the fifth time, Candyman, our relationship would have been done. So, and it's like, obviously, this is back in the 90s, so I can't just email her, you know, so you have to interact with her. But at the same time, it was like she was always going to her house. She was always just doing something for her, you know? And that's something I really didn't care for. Well, the fact that all of these other black characters don't interact with Bernadette preferentially, you know, like, yeah, that rings really false to mm -hmm. me. That tells me like a black person did not write this mm -mm. because like, that's not how I would proceed. And that's not been my experience. Like, hell, if it's just me and Mary Kay in a room full of white people, half of our conversation is like, okay, I'll, I'll speak for myself. Me talking shit about white people to Mary Kay, not even under my breath, mm -hmm. just like <laughs> running my mouth. Like the time those dudes were being goofy at her friend's house, uh, her boyfriend's house, right? It was, was it your boyfriend's house at the time, right? And I was like, don't make you feel like three fifths of a person. Oh my God, I thought I was going to die. That was so funny. Wait, what happened? I don't I, know. I, I don't even remember what and they were doing or what they said. White. That boyfriend. No, no, wasn't he white. wasn't, so, it was just the friend. It was the friends. Was, the friends were. I it can't remember weird. what they did or said. I mean, everyone was being friendly or whatever, but they just said or did something like it was white nonsense, right? It was white nonsense. And he, he I, was like participatory in a lot of white nonsense to have been a brown person. That is true. That just is true. saying. Like he went skydiving. What? No, thank you. I know. It's white nonsense. My like, brother is dangerous <laughs> enough. Why? Anyway. So, yeah. So I don't remember exactly what they said or did, but it was just such white nonsense that that was, to me, like the only reasonable response to it was I, to turn to Mary Kay and say full so volume so the entire room could hear I me. I just started crying. Like, it was just, you know, sometimes you get the misrepresentation on your face. <laughs> I don't, oh my God. I can't remember what it was. It was probably something stupid too. Like they wanted to do shots or whatever. And I had to use some like rinky dink shitty cup. Because they'd run out of like, normal <laughs> shot glasses. It's probably something stupid like so that. Dumb. But it was, you know. But like to your point, though, I do feel like that. I noticed that, too. Like they call them both cops, but they address Helen mm -hmm. outside the um, apartment. It caught my attention as being odd, if that makes sense. So. So, yeah. Um. So, so another yeah, another kind of like our final point that that we we all noticed in this uh is it scary vein is uh or one of the final points is i guess uh what if fairy tales are real right 
um, as children, you take some comfort in a fairy tale because it's contained in mm-hmm. Once Upon a Time and the end, right? It, it all fits between these bookends. Um, and that's why it can be scary or upsetting or shocking because it's contained and it's something that you can stomach. Um, uh, um, and then as an adult, you take... what you experience as a child? That... Being like, oh, it's not real? Not that it wasn't real, but that it had, because it had that shape, that frame that I recognized, it, 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 it was something that I knew how to put my hands or my head around in that shape. And outside of that, that kind of format or set of expectations, things felt very, like, felt a different kind of fearsome. It was still, it could still be scary. You know, like the Little Mermaid was like walking on knives and shit. I wasn't like, yay. did not have that experience with fairy tales as a kid. Did you find them scary all the time? Just scary, 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 scary. Yeah. And no, and like my, uh, like my, my dad would never be like, it's not real. So it shouldn't scare you. He would be like, so what if it is real? The worst thing that can happen is you die. And I'll be like, well, when you put it like that, I mean, Okay. I was a real neurotic kid. I was like scared of everything. I was so gonna say, I was. Like, you weren't scared was, of anything, so that's I was probably not, why they told I was, you that. I was scared of like imagination stuff. Like I was scared of things like Bloody Mary or stories. I wasn't scared of things that I probably should have been scared of, like deep water or heights. Now, <laughs> Jesus. Um, but as a child, no. Like real life things didn't scare me, um, but things that were that I could not. Things that lived in my imagination were very scary. I had, a, I had plenty of space for that to get weird. So when I had so, that frame of the beginning, the end, it kind of helped it to be scary in a way that was exciting and not just I get that. And I think that maybe just because we were different personalities, like that wasn't the the cautionary thing. My, my dad was always like, just don't panic. If you don't panic... You'll be okay. So even if it is real, you can think through it and how to get out of it, knowing what the worst case scenario is, which, I mean, kind of happens sort of, right, with this Candyman because it becomes a gangster Mm -hmm. and you see Jake turn around and say, Candyman. And then he goes in there and tries to kill her. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's kind of dicey about how it actually goes down. I think Jake called someone to help her. Is that kind of the impression y'all got? Yes. That okay. Means, yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's that. So in that moment, like, Jake is not fucking around. He's like, he's real. If you go in there, he's going to come after you. Yeah. But he has conflated those two entities, which I think a lot of the community has done, and well, that's, including I, that was... the actual gangster, right? Because that's why yeah, he that was... took that name is because it was always exactly. already scary. So there's that, and then there's the true crime in in our actual world of, they call him the real-life Candyman, Dean Coral, who uh, had a very similar MO to John Wayne Gacy in that he would, like, take impressionable young boys who were in the closet and then abuse them, torture them, and kill them. Um, If you haven't seen Mindhunter, you can get a glimpse into... um, I can't remember the guy, the, the kid's name who ended up killing him to save the other kids but um 
that is just the same name. It's not really the same story. But I feel like it was worth mentioning because that's like a fairy tale name, you know. And of course, candy in this situation is drugs. But anyway. Um, one thing I was going to say, when it comes to, um, I guess, you know, when you're a kid and everything and what you're afraid of. What's funny is when I was a kid, I really was, I was scared of everything, you know. Um, but at the same that's time. That's sensible. When you're a kid and defenseless. It's crazy. It was like, I was literally afraid of everything. But at the same time, I would still watch horror movies. So Mm -hmm. even when it came to this, it it was kind of like, you have Helen who's just walking around where you have people who live at Cabrini Green and this is their life. They can't escape it. They can't go back to a luxury apartment building like she can. They have to stay there and live there. And this is the myth or this is the, or maybe even a curse because a lot of people believed it, right? So the mm-hmm. fact that kind of like what you guys did mention with her tricking um, Jake, because he was like a little kid, but then you also know, uh, kind of like you said it again, there are, you know, real life gangsters who were there. There are drug dealers who, who were there. They're just seeing this white woman who's on the loose and she's on the loose. <laughs> I mean, but no, I mean, she, she is very much on the loose. She's just like <laughs> walking around. So it's like, I think that that guy who said that he was Candyman, um, mm-hmm. he heard she was looking for Candyman, you know, mm-hmm. to quote him. So it's just like, I think that they kind of just wanted to scare her, but it's crazy because it's like, Helen did not back down for anything. She didn't even back down for Candyman himself, the real Candyman. I think, so this brings us to kind of another point that, that really stood out to me was that in that, um, I think this is a movie that for me will bear repeated viewings really well. Yeah. And that I'll keep finding stuff. At, at the time, it's bizarre to me to watch this now, 20 years later. And at the time, it was largely dismissed as a slasher. Like, it wasn't well appreciated by critics. Mm-hmm. I look at this now, and I'm like, God, this is so much more sophisticated than, oh, yeah. Yeah. than so many so many movies that we watch now. And that the characters, like, when it comes to the question of fear and what there is to be afraid of and what it means to be fearful... Like the, the folks in the, in the projects, like they live with such practical, imminent, and very like literal danger all the time yeah. that the fairy tale is the thing that keeps everyone indoors where they need to be, that walking the path they need to walk, right? The fairy tale about the hook handed slasher is somehow the better formatted way. It's like it's easier to swallow. That if I just don't stand in front of the mirror, if I just go home straight after dark, if I just don't, then I'll be okay. As opposed it's to like, like there, there is no, space. yeah, there, there is no real, so, yeah. there is no real safety here. Like any of these people could just die at any moment. As opposed to the white characters who are afraid of the project itself in a much less reasonable not. way. She should be, but she's not. Right. Yeah. And, I, and it's a much less reasonable thing because like any of those characters go to Cabrini Green, they get messed up. Like, everyone's going to know. They're not going to fall through the cracks. No one, It's not like no one's going to notice. It's not like no one's going to be brought to justice. They have less to fear in this space than anybody else, but they're not afraid of the myth. Mm-hmm. And the myth is the thing that can actually get to them. I just want to quote Carmen Maria Machado at this moment from her story, The Husband Stitch, in that life is too short to be afraid of nothing. You should be scared of some stuff. I also think, and this is really, this is the part that made it like stand up for me and, or not stand up, but like 
stick with me and made me think about it and unpack it later is like that philosophical idea of the candy man saying, believe in me without my congregation, I'm nothing. And I think that that's really interesting too, that they set this film in. And I think that Cabrini Green is at this moment in this movie, a government project area, right? Yes. Yeah, they, they filmed at the real, actual Cabrini Green. The communities like that and others are very insular, meaning they have a no-snitch policy, meaning you don't talk to people outside of the community about things that happen inside the community. Like, you can fight with each other, but you can't... But when it comes to someone else, you need to be on the same team. So I think that that believe-in-me thing, and with Helen just coming in there with all of her, like, I'm going to save the day... And it not working, I think, was actually really validating to me. Because we were only like 40 minutes into the movie when Candyman was brought down. And the detective was like, nice job. We couldn't get an ID on him. Like, nobody would pick him out of a lineup. Nobody would talk. And she's like, oh, good. And then she kind of gets even, she gets more confident, right? Because she's like, I'm doing the right thing. And who wouldn't, you know, in that situation? Like, I feel like I helped people who would have been punished, but I'm using my white guilt for good, which is the way that you're supposed to use it. Um, so I don't know. I just, I think that that was a really smart storytelling device to, to be, to like give her this false, I mean, a earned confidence, but also like a false confidence going into the supernatural element of it. Yeah. She, she earned confidence about the wrong shit. Getting into this whole like no snitching thing and insular communities, something that stuck out to me a lot was the question of who gets to tell a story right and in this circumstance we have kind of like in-game and metagame versions of this for my fellow D players out there um <laughs> so there's the in-game right which is who gets to tell a story within the world of the story itself who gets to know who gets to share and how do they choose to share the legend of candy man and then metagame we're looking at if you're talking about a black when you're talking about a black community a black like figure in a black community who gets to tell this story on film who gets to share this the story of Candyman the movie with the world um, and they're both complicated and they're both really interesting um, but let's, let's start in game because we hear this story at least one two three four five times is Professor Purcell in game that's an interesting question because he takes us all the way back to historical origin of the but urban that's legend. Different. I, I mean, I, I agree. I think he's telling a different story than the others are, except that it's it becomes, by the end of the movie, impossible to understand either story without the other. Right. Okay. I feel like the professor, he was giving more facts. Whereas mm-hmm. Helen, as an example, she was getting too personal. Like, she was getting, like, way too attached to the story. Like, she was kind of becoming obsessed with it. You think Mm -hmm. about it. Oh, yeah. I would absolutely agree. Yeah, so we hear, the first we ever hear is actually from a student, right? Uh, I think so, yeah. In the very opening moments of the movie. Mm -hmm. um, We hear the story. When they're smoking inside, this bitch is fearless. You've You've seen me do it. Everyone did it once upon a time. In the school? Yeah, I don't remember. At a student desk. (laughs) Okay, I'm not, okay, yeah, I'm not that old. I, I didn't get to do that in there. But I mean, that is in The Exorcist, impressive. they smoke in the hospital, so there's that. 
Okay, sorry, so you were right. saying. She hears. Oh, just say so the first we hear is from a student. Then we hear from Henrietta and Kitty. Am I going mm-hmm. in the right order here? Then Anne Marie. Mm-hmm. Then Jake. Then Purcell. Or is Purcell then Jake? I thought it was. I think it's Purcell then Jake. Right. Right. Uh huh. Um. So we hear this story five times, five iterations, <laughs> and certain things are consistent. But you're right. Purcell's version is well. Here's where they all got that. Right? Mm-hmm. It's a very, like, commentary on, oh, oh, well, their version is, I'm just you know. picturing Andrew Glauberman from Big Mouth coming in and being like, actually, as a person who's dated a woman of color, what Basically. you're talking about is, like, and then over-explaining it. <laughs> that's yeah. basic. I mean, because that's the thing. They're not, like, yes, they are referencing, the person they're referencing, the creature they're referencing historically was that man that's how this all started mm-hmm. motherfucker that ain't super relevant to what's happening right now right no. now if you stand in front of a mirror and call his name too many times he just guts you like a fish yeah what how does that, that have to do what the fuck does that right. have to do with like well actually shut up right. Purcell. Purcell sucks yeah i mean As i'm not sorry talking, that i know i that. was like Bleh. shut well it <laughs> The fact that so Helen, with him. Helen, for all of her, like, you know, hubris, at that point in the movie, I'm like, I'm team Helen, you know? I'm like, all oh, right. Oh, for this sure. Is like, I was team Helen all along. This is our protagonist. I got yeah. this. I'm here for her. And so when she was like, fuck this guy, to her best friend, not that much under her breath, at the dinner table, <laughs> I was like, oh, Okay. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. fuck this guy. Fuck this guy, here we go, here we go, here we, like, rolling up my sleeves. I was like, ready. Rolling up her robe sleeves. My giant robe sleeves. (laughs) They're so fluffy that they're very quiet when I do it. I think that she, from her talking about him, made him suck more than he might have actually, if that makes sense. Like, it definitely felt like she was transferring her resentment towards Trevor onto Purcell. Because he didn't do anything, really. Right. He I just, just assumed like, oh, he had. know this original story? Okay. But not on screen. Right. I just Yeah, I just assumed he had. I mean, he just seemed like he was just one of those guys who was just like a know-it-all, you know? Yeah. And obviously with Helen being so strong-willed and she wanting to do whatever she wants to do, they're not gonna get along. No, he does. He does like say something insulting to her at the dinner table, and like he's not awesome. I I just didn't remember that part. I guess he I says know. something about how like oh you're gonna you know she says something about how she's gonna like they're gonna take him down basically as an academic. He's like oh you were gonna take me down and you didn't even know the original story. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> but also in his defense, like. She didn't. She didn't. So <laughs> she didn't. <laughs> okay, it's a complicated thing, man. I'm like, okay, well, how? What point was she supposed to know it? Like, if she just started this project, like, was she supposed to have already I been done she when was she started? Supposed it? to have, yeah. I thought she was supposed to have already finished the project, and that's why she didn't want Trevor talking about it yet. My thing I is, I am unclear about all. Of it was that. not clear. The timeline wasn't clear. My thing but. is, she should have just kept her mouth shut. If Trevor yeah. wants to tell him about it, you can tell him about it. She knew that they were going to go out for dinner at that time. You can talk about him with Bernadette all you want, but 
I mean, you know what he's going to say to you, regardless. Even if she was doing something else, he's a know-it-all. He knows everything. Yeah. He, he wrote about it 10 years ago. So at this point, why even let someone like that get under your skin? You know, but I think that that's just right. a part of her personality, you know? I also think, too, like, I mean, I certainly identified with some of that. Like, just, like, you're a woman, you're on the scene, like, you want to, like, you have big goals, you have big ambitions. And there's a guy who already did it and who takes for granted, takes his success for granted, like, takes his own brilliance for granted, not ever really considering that maybe he's been successful because the entire world is set up for him to be successful. Right. So there's just this automatic resentment to the white guy who already got to do the thing you want to do. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I get it, but it's just kind of like in my thing... I mean, I think that maybe it just would have been better if she would have moved silently. Kind of like Bernadette. Mm-hmm. She wasn't getting worked yeah. up. So, I, I don't know. But yeah. Um, kind of like me with James Franco's projects. How he does everything I want to do exactly opposite of the way that I want to do it. But like I haven't episode, said anything about it until right like now. That, <laughs> like that episode where, of 30 Rock where he's sleeping with a pillow. But you would have the pillow sleep with you. <laughs> no, not that. I mean, like putting all of Faulkner's films and movies. Oh my god, making all of Faulkner's books, adapting them into film, or Cormac McCarthy's books into film. Is he doing that? Yes, he did that twice with with two of them. Anyway, no I'm cares. getting heated. Don't worry. No, don't worry. No one cares. You can do it later and just do it better. That's true. Truly, in truly, no one cares. <laughs> at this point what james franco is doing is kind of like okay dude as long as the teenage girls are safe entertain yourself fucking hell just get out of our way thank you thank you bernadette <laughs> oh my god okay so metagame 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 we've got this nice british man named clive barker writing this story and then transferring it to chicago and uh, much to his credit, he he did homework. He he took pains. He 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 made a really concerted effort in uh, taking the story to a new community and working within a marginalized community. And I think it shows. But uh, it is kind of a like messy, weird thing. And I, I think it's easier now, in hindsight, to look back and say, like, well, you know, it's not like black artists got to make this. It's not like black directors or black writers were like being thrown millions of dollars to make whatever projects they wanted to make. Um, I am curious to see how this evolves now that it's being reinterpreted by Jordan motherfucking Peele. I'm so excited for it. <laughs> um, you know, they actually, so they did film at Cabrini Green. You know, they actually had to like partner with the community. And I don't mean this in a very formal way. I mean, they had to like, ask around and be like okay so who's like the guys we have to actually talk to right can you tell them to meet us at this time at this place and mm-hmm. i just had to get a bunch of different like gang leaders to agree to let them be on in certain pl- places at certain times i mean at least they did that shit right they did which was much safer and also that's who's in the background of a lot of scenes a lot of the extras are those gang leaders because they wanted to be like on set on camera to make sure that everything was going the way that it was agreed to like, best, of course, if there are no gangs in the world ever at all. But also, like, for the authenticity of it, you you need someone who's from there right. to tell you if you're not also, from there. Also, there's 
something about that speaks to me of respecting the neighborhood for what it is. Oh, Instead of trying to create it as you want it to be or as you think it should be. Mm -hmm. Or trying to use your project to drop in, like parachute in. I'm going to fix it in a couple months and you're going to leave. You're going to fucking leave. What do you think is going to happen when you're gone? And I do think there's a certain, I have a certain appreciation for that because, you know, you and I have seen like simply taking somebody outside of this community or injecting the community with some kind of outside influence is not the same thing. And it's not, it's, it's not fundamentally respectful of the experiences of people who actually are living this every day. Like Zena was saying, like they can't leave. It's not like an option. It's not, this is it. This is life. And to try and parachute in or tweak and then vanish again, it's not actually how people's lives work. Like there's a movie about dangerous minds because it's bizarre that that worked. That shouldn't have been successful. I wonder also if that's one, like the the authenticity and the respectfulness of setting is one of the reasons why this movie does age so well. So we've been talking about we've been talking about Cabrini Green, and a phrase that was repeated a couple of times referencing events at Cabrini Green was "No one came." And I don't yeah. know why, oh, but that, like... That made me so... Mm, that upset but me. But it, it... Of course. Like, of course. It's still... But something about the exact timing, the execution, it's really beautifully framed every time it's said. To really highlight that whatever evil Candyman is, there's a greater evil happening here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, both of them are real. One of them's fucking fixable. Like, one of them doesn't have to be a boogeyman at all. It just could, you know, do its goddamn job, which is that when you call 911, somebody comes. Hearing it the first time was sad and upsetting because even though I expected it, it it is a sad reality. Hearing it echoed the exact same language that second time, I was like, I don't even, whew, I'm going to need to see this maybe half a dozen times over three to five years before I've got all the right words for why that's hitting me the way it does. I think it's going to need to hit me like four different ways <laughs> before I really got myself figured out on that one. Cause it just, cause there's no reason they shouldn't say that. Like I know shit. My family back in Bedsty talks about like how they're totally fine with the gentrification because now the police actually come when you call, which is horrifying, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm okay with all my neighbors being priced out of their homes because we bought this one back in the seventies when it was basically a dumpster. And at least we're okay. If we have to call the cops on the the white college kids who moved in next door, they'll actually come. Yeah, there's uh, that's some, a lot of mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a lot of stuff to talk about. But um, I so think that things. we already answered my question about is a white woman the protagonist because he's black? I think that she was just always white, and then they made a more relevant setting and that that would have been it, it's a hate crime and so that's the the start of the the boogeyman situation and also and I know that we typically try to not take it out of the context of the film itself but I just needed to tell y'all that one of the audience members at that panel that I went to man I wish I had gotten to talk to him because he asked so many good questions um <laughs> But I was sick, and so I was like, I just need to go home. Like, I need to go. Um, you were sick this week, too? 
Yeah, I had like a head cold. I feel okay now, but I think it's because I just kind of battened down the hatches and slept a lot. Um, That's what I, we have, I had the same thing. And then I just like slept for like three days. Oh, and then I was okay. synchronized illness. Okay. <laughs> we are of one that. respiratory system. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but one of the um, audience members asked him like, why is Candyman so scary? And what did you tap into to get into that role? And he was like, um, I just tapped into being black in America. And that's it. That's scary. That's not a joke. Ta-da! <laughs> yeah. I'm six um, foot five. Right. I am oh my a gosh. black man. Also, when he stepped out to get on stage, he went like this and did a wolfman howl. And it was amazing. Oh. And I was like, holy shit, I didn't know he was that tall in real life. I just didn't put it together. So that's part of the reason they cast him. They actually talked about Eddie Murphy. Oh, yeah. He's not scary, though. Mm-mm. No, and I think, I mean, as it turns out, now we know, you know, over the last 10, 15 years, Eddie Murphy's a terrific actor. At the time, that wasn't as apparent. Um, mm-hmm. He was funny. Um, but He they also liked... might have become excellent. That's true. That's true. Yeah, he's done yeah. a lot. Tony, Tony Todd, um, they loved that he was huge. And he's just beautiful. You know, the, the camera, but his bones, he's, he's just, you know, he's such an impressive and fascinating figure. They actually mm-hmm. put him through something called a personality test. Not a screen test. No one had any issues with how he showed up on camera. But he had to, like, sit down with executives and, like, have a conversation with yeah, them. Yeah, so he talked about that. see if he had personality. Like, in, you know, just in the idea of, like, will, mm-hmm. he, will he read? Could we send him on promotional stuff? And they, they kind of walked out of it going, well, we can't tell if he has much of a personality. But, yeah, he's fine. You can have him. And, uh... He, he has talked about it at interview since. I'm curious to know what he said this weekend, because at interview since, he's talked about it as, like, he was playing it pretty chill. Like, he was tr- he was kind of trying to have less personality, because he just mm-hmm. wanted to, like, not offend anybody and, like, get through the process. Right. So that he could get the role. What did he say this weekend? He just said he didn't have to audition. He just did a personality test. He was like, mm-hmm. whatever that means. Um, but in the interview like you could tell like he was super outgoing and friendly and mm-hmm. he talked about one of his cats was named charlie parker and like it was it was Aww. just like an easy conversation to have so it makes sense that he was like playing it real cool like trying to be buttoned up because he mm-hmm. was very friendly he talked about the claremont lounge and how he partied with Tom wait. Hardy. Can you imagine them in the same oh my room? What wait, the they partied at the, at the claremont? No, because that's oh just God. one room. It's like the this size of room. Yeah, no, no, not at the Claremont in Europe somewhere. Oh, I'm gonna have a dream tonight where I am partying with Tony Todd and Tom Hardy at the Claremont. Yeah, he, it's gonna he be said the, the name of the club dream. and the dance floor opened and there was a swimming pool. That is already a dream. This is the best day of my life. I'll find the even, link. To I wasn't even there for any of this. Put it in the notes. Yeah, but he didn't, I wasn't there for that part. He was just talking about it, and I was like, oh, shit. So, speaking of sexiness, uh-huh. um, so Candyman as a villain, a huge mm. source of inspiration for Clive Barker um, for the film for Tony Todd was the Phantom of the Opera. Love it. So that this wasn't just a, like, you know, bad guy preys upon lady oh, situation. It's a love it was story. that, yeah, there's this attraction. There's this, like, I mean, sure, it's horrible, like, 
gaslighting evil nonsense. Like he's ruining her life. So he's her only option. But it's very, it's apparent, like, in the way things are shot. Like, she gets the full-on, like, Rita Hayworth lighting treatment, right? When she's in Candyman Hypnosis. Yeah. Right? Where she's being she looks lit. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like, it looks like they've done the, like, Christmas light halo around the, yeah, like, the camera. Weird. Yeah, it's really diffused, but then it's really, like, focused. It's diffused, but really centralized to her eyes. So, like, the lower part of her face and, like, the top of her head are almost... Like that like, kind of like fading away, and it's just about her eyes and her eyes it's reaction. Soft to him. focus. It's beautiful. <laughs> it is. It is soft yeah. focus. It's beautiful. Um, so she gets this like silent movie star treatment when she's under his sway. Every shot of him is just like stunning. But yeah, that was that was a lot of their inspiration, and I I read that before I ever saw the movie, and I was like, oh god. I don't even think I don't even think anyone had to tell me this. It's so obvious, and I love it. Remember that episode of uh, Parks and Rec where Anne's trying to help Leslie make a dating profile? She's like, mm-hmm. "Describe your ideal man." She's like, "He's dark and mysterious, and he plays the organ." She's like, "It's the Phantom of the Opera," and she's like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> "You know, I." definitely see that uh with phantom of the opera uh because it's just like something i like about Candyman. um i love the fact that he's a mystery and every single time he opens up his mouth and he talks it just sounds like a poem you know mm-hmm. like yeah it's beautiful like it's just it is it's, it's very beautiful what was that one thing he said about you know swallow your horror for your nourishment it's just like what what does that mean but you know you're still in <laughs> he talks like <laughs> seal sings <laughs> 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 what does it even mean? Yeah. Like, oh my god. It's like You're so crazy. Well. Be my victim. <laughs> I am rumor. Like, I don't know why Helen really had to think about it because Trevor, what was Trevor doing? He was with Stacy. Not so. a damn thing. Just <laughs> Trevor snitch Trevor to ugh. Trevor did not have a single fucking bee come out of his mouth this entire movie. That weak little shit. <laughs> Do you want to know? So, so Tony Todd had a clause written. He knew about the bees, right? So he had a clause written into his contract that said he got $1,000 for every bee sting. I read that. Isn't it cool? Motherfucker made $23,000 wow. on his bee stings. 23000 I was wanting to know how they shot them coming out of his mouth. I can tell you. So okay. what they had to do was they had to breed the bees special. Um, okay. Because, uh, A, because you want them to be somewhat docile. Like, you don't want it to be an actual nightmare. And, B, um, Virginia Madsen is actually allergic to them. Oh, God. Not as fatally allergic as she is to, like, wasps. But, yes, allergic. So they had to breed them so that the bees they used were always adolescent. Mm-hmm. So they're less likely to sting. And if they do, they do less damage they're a little bit more docile kind of easier to herd um but those are real bees but they just like they put the like scent of the queen wherever they need them to go Mm. so like in his mouth on his neck his face whatever um yeah i love that they did not use cgi for this it still just i mean yes practical effects last so much better it's so upsetting and 
So yeah, so Virginia Madsen is allergic to bees, and she's still at those motherfuckers put bees inside of her head. That's she was like, mm. yeah, I was like, uh, I would never do that. Like, I would never ask an actor to do that. Like, you're allergic to bees. We will figure it out. Like, we'll do something, but we're not going to put your life in danger. Obviously, this movie was maybe not super concerned with that between the hypnosis and the, the bees. But um, she did say that she felt like a total badass. She is. Like working with the live bees. I think she got stung once or twice. Um, but yeah, Tony Todd got stung 23 times. I'd be taunting those bees. A thousand dollars? Shit. <laughs> Bitch, what? What? <laughs> they were like, don't swat at the bees. And I'd be like, what are you saying? I can't hear you. What? what? I have bee madness. I- <laughs> 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 oh my Lord. Lord. Those bees were very cool. But yeah, they had to breed um, them. Just, you know, is it consistent? I don't know. No, but I can go with it because it's an urban legend. That's how yeah, I... Like, like where okay. he was supposed to be or when... There were definitely... I was like, the babies in the bonfire. Like, I, I don't... That part, I was like, I don't get it. I don't It's, it's really devolving it. now. I don't even... But I didn't. I didn't mind. I wasn't, yeah. like, angry about it. I was just like, you know what? Okay. Yeah, and I had some questions about, like, I understood why the hook, because he didn't have a hand anymore, but why a hook and not anything else was one question. What would, I didn't what have would you, to have that answered. What would you wear? Ooh. Let's have a hook. Candy cane. Yeah. <laughs> That's so, so brittle. You just have to like bite it off and then stab people with it. <laughs> what? Um, yeah, I don't know. I just. What if you just had like one cat paw? There's <laughs> <laughs> like one tiny cat paw coming people. off. Oh, you could. That would be the worst. They would hate that. I thought that he he did that. He had the whole hook thing because he knew that he wanted to get revenge. Okay. So you could get revenge with like a a butcher knife. Yeah. I mean, I guess. But also, I think the hook is. I think the hook is because that's a that has been a standard for a long time. Less so now, obviously. But for a long time, it was a standard. Like prosthetic. Thank you, prosthetic for people who lost a hand because it's more it's more useful. Yeah. Okay. That's why pirates have hooks and everything because it's more useful than um, just a knife. Yeah, like it's it does things. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. All right, okay, so I'm good with that. And then I asked, because I didn't know we were going to talk about it earlier, why the candy? But I think that that is just part of the urban legend now, just like the razor blades and the candy is a... Oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. there was that scene where she's, like, picking through the... Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like a shrine to him, but it's, like, put... Yeah. Well, so, it's like I can go with it, those. So. Well, I have a question. Okay. Yeah. So why do you think that Helen could only... She could only see Candyman and no one else could? Well, she's the only one who summons him. She did, but other people did believe. Certain people. But they didn't call him. True. That's what I thought was the rule. Like, if you called him, now you're fucking stuck. Ha ha ha. Right. You can't get rid of him. So after You can't get rid of him, but no one else can see him. Yeah. After we're done with this, do you think that you're going to go try and call Candyman? Hell no. No. Hell Hell no. no. I've never even called Bloody Mary, and I just told you I won't shut my fucking bathroom door if the light is off. 
When did I lived with my ex. Xena? No, surprisingly not. I did other stuff, but not that. That was something like. What stuff did you do? I messed around with a Ouija board, went to a cemetery, oh, okay. you know, did some, I know. Uh-huh. Listen, in my defense, my friend Teresa, uh-huh. she was into some weird <gasps> stuff. Fucking Teresa. Teresa. Oh my okay, Bernadette. <laughs> No, but it's it's true. It's true. Teresa, she would hang out with this girl named Donna in cemeteries. And she was like, hey, you want to try something? You know, with a Ouija board. And it's crazy because I remember I watched Witch Board where this lady, she was playing with a witch board, like a Ouija board or whatever. And yeah, then this whole ghost was like haunting her life, trying to take over her body. So I, I knew better, but I couldn't stop. You know, so... <laughs> But no, I, I drew the line there. That was something I did not want to do. So, and I never Okay. Went. At least you knew no. you had a boundary. Yes. You towed the line, but okay. Okay. <laughs> she towed it in those fucking amazing shoes. Yes. Oh. We're going to have to get lots of pictures to put on Instagram. Oh, your sure. Shoes. Suddenly, suddenly a bunch of weirdos are going to start following our account. <laughs> it's just pictures hey, of like Xena's feet and shoes. Press, right? <laughs> um, also, if you like shoes, if you like feet, you're not a weirdo. I'm sorry. It was a cheap shot. If you like feet, you know, do you. Just you like, like what you like. Okay. Within reason. Just, just like be safe. I don't want to be safe. One of my mom's favorite things to do was to look up how much people on eBay would pay for dirty socks. Ew. I'm sorry. That's that's a thing? What? She would call me sometimes and be like, Mary Kay, you're not going to believe these sick bucks. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> what? My mom, she goes on like weird wormhole searches sometimes. Like she just gets into something and goes deep into the crevasse. Mm. Speaking of the crevasse, have you actually never considered selling your dirty panties? Because, like, there have been times when I was broke and I was like, I'm never going to have to deal with this again. I don't know who this is. Mm-mm. No. <laughs> what? People will pay such stupid money for it. And I didn't have, it took zero effort on my part. Don't you think that you could just buy a pair of panties, rub it in dirt, put some mustard on it, just do some nasty wild stuff to it, <laughs> and then sell it? Here you go. Okay, not... Not mustard specifically. You <laughs> <laughs> just can't sell some stone ground panties. Some I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why it's <laughs> I can think of it as those gray poupon commercials. Gosh, speaking of nasty, <coughs> mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. this a slasher? I didn't feel like it terribly much was. Uh, no, considering... but it's definitely gross. Like, oh, there's a yeah. lot of gross in it. There's there's gore. Yeah. And there is nudity, but the nudity wasn't very, like, sexy. No, mm-hmm. it was fine. I was fine with it. It wasn't. No, there's one scene TV. where she's, like, topless because... A police officer is making her strip down while she's peeling right, someone else's right. body goo off of her, and I was like, Ugh. "That makes sense." Yeah. Then the other to, time, the other she's, like, oh, she's in the say, bath, right? Yeah, but no, it, it uh, was reasonable. I always mm-hmm. thought that this movie was more of a supernatural horror. Yeah, I, I would agree. agree. I mean, I, I'd always heard of it as 
like slasher. I have this impression of it as kind of like cheap slashery, like not good, but you know, it'll make you jump a bunch. Which, oh well, I did jump a few times. I I didn't did not feel like it was the way I expected it to be at all. Which is funny because um, Philip Glass, uh, the guy who composed, uh, <laughs> he, yeah, he actually said that he thought it was going to be a very artsy, you know, Clive Barker movie. But then he said that he thought it was low budget and cheap. And it's just like, whoa, harsh. But I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm way sorry. harsh. <laughs> I'm sorry you were disappointed. So. Well, so I think he's come around on it over the years. I think he looks back on it now and is like, oh, okay, I get that. Good. Also, good. Um, the score is still fantastic. Oh, it's still, yeah. still the best. Us. It's still beautiful work. Love it really so good. much. Yeah, and in terms of story construction, you know, a slasher has a pretty standard, like, five-act, like, good guy, bad guy, kill off all the good guys, final confrontation, the end. And while this follows some of that, right? Like, there's a bunch of killing off of good guys. I, I That wasn't, like, the heart of the story to me. Like, the heart of the story, like, those people weren't dying as, I don't know, I, I guess if I were to put it on paper, they might be almost exactly the same, but my experience of it was very much, like, mm-hmm. a psychological like unraveling on Helen's part. Yeah, I had I had that too and you also have the trope in not necessarily horror movies but in in books and the gothic especially of committing a wife who's mm. inconvenient to an asylum. Right. But she does not stand for that shit. No. She comes back to find her kitchen being fucking Pepto-Bismoled. Stacy yeah but i just i noticed that because when she got in there i was like oh man like we even have that at the the end of the craft which we discovered recently was actually not a good movie even though i'm really nostalgic for it um Mm. but yeah so i think we kind of answered already some things the movie might be trying to say but did we miss anything uh i don't i i don't feel like i'm missing anything that i wanted to discuss at this point um i I think we're ready for Oh, I was go just going to say uh, one more thing with, with Cabrini Green yeah. I didn't get to talk about when we were, um, you know, with, with that scene where they were talking about Ruthie Jean and no one came and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It, it is really sad. And at the same time, kind of like what we covered, it's not surprising, you know, um, unfortunately, and it is something that still happens today. So I'm wondering how they're going to... Um, or what they're going to do. I think, well, I have a feeling that it's going to be like three times as worse with the new one that Jordan Peele is producing. You know, I, I have a feeling yeah, that it's going to be Yeah, it probably will be. So that's something I'm, well, you know, like I'm not looking that's forward a, to it, but you know. I am, but I'm not, but I'm, but I, but I'm, I, uh, so, <laughs> you know, um, uh, Get Out was supposed to end very differently than it did. Yes. Mm-hmm. Originally, it ended with the actual police coming, not Lil Ro. And, like, mm. you know, they just ended with the cops, like, pulling guns on him in the middle of the road. And they just realized it was so bleak. It was so upsetting. And it left them with this loose end. Mm-hmm. Right. Of where had this character gone? Like, they saw that he had gotten nowhere with the police, but he clearly, he didn't leave that encounter thinking, like, I'm going to give up then. So where did he go? So they took advantage of that and it had an end, you know, in a way that didn't make you feel like your entire T.S. Yes, motherfucking A. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wish I had that response to TSA. I do not. Mary Kay and I managed from many states apart 
to come up with the same closing question. So when I opened the outline <laughs> this afternoon, I was like, that's exactly what I was going to fill in. She was like, but you didn't. And I was like, wow. I was trying I to commiserate. It. I was trying to commiserate. I guess you just hate me. Mm-hmm. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> We've been friends for 10 years. Yeah. Or eight or nine or whatever. But I think I think we're getting up on 10 now because. I think we're close to it. Yeah. 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 I think this, this fall will be 10 years. 10 years. So also, um, speaking of. Wait, wait. Before we go there. Just mm. the trailer. The very short trailer for Jordan Peele's newest movie. Antebellum. Horrifying. Yes. Okay. I just wanted to say right quick, like, he's not afraid to go there. (laughs) Okay. You're saying from states away. We are of one mind. So the closing (laughs) question we've got this time around. So we started with, if you were uh, a boogeyman, what would your like ensemble be? This time around, the question is, what insect would you have represent you? Go ahead, Mary Kay. Wow, okay. Yeah. okay. <laughs> she shot her hand into the air like fucking Hermione Granger. Yeah. Um, I would want my insect to be cicadas because they're huge and scary and they make those that awesome sound. And when there's a lot of them, they're everywhere. Yeah. It's like a... Almost like a plagues of Egypt type. It's like little like shells up on the trees everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like bugs. I think that they're just... no same. They're just same. They're just so gross. So it was really they have hard. too many knees. They yeah. do, and then it's just like my thing is too like I'll understand like if I'm like outside and it's like maybe I'm standing on your house, but sometimes you can be <laughs> in your own house. And it's like, <laughs> what are you doing here? You don't pay rent. So it's just like, it's just, <laughs> I don't like it. So it was really hard for me. Like at first I was going to say maybe like an ant because ants are hard workers and you know, they're all True. small so they can get anywhere. Um, and they're but, not up in your business. Like they're just trying right. to eat similar things That's to you, it. but they're not bothering right. you. Yeah. Exactly. You know, they have like mm-hmm. a structured, organized life, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But then it was just like, you know, who am I kidding? So instead, I'm going to go with a wolf spider because they're ugly. Damn. Fuck. Exactly. (laughs) If I have to be a bug or if I have to be like an insect, I want to be the worst one. I want to be the best one out there. You're going to lean all the way in. (laughs) Just like the the, the one where it's just like, I'm coming in your house and I live here now. I want to make you move. (laughs) So that's that's who I would be. They do what they want. They're colorful. That's not an insect, but okay, I'll allow it. Thank you so much. <laughs> I would be like the insect to represent me if there were just like thousands of them everywhere, like in this movie. Praying mm-hmm. mantis. <laughs> Why? Have you ever watched one of those move up close? No. It's the creepiest shit you've ever seen in your <laughs> life. Also, also, do, when it, I was a do kid, an impression. Yeah. <laughs> great so like an iguana but a, a little bit but they're so okay we're gonna post a video to the instagram of praying mantises also when and i was then a kid, mary <laughs> also maybe when i was a kid um we found in japan we found a praying mantis and we put it in a little terrarium you know we gave it grass to eat because we're stupid and then um <laughs> we found we didn't know they were you know carnivorous and we found another praying i didn't mantis. know that either they're carnivorous as shit. You ready to hear this? No. So we found another praying mantis and we put it in there. And we were like, oh my God. <laughs> And the next day we come in there and the first praying mantis is 
the head of the second one is in the corner and she's just chowing down on the body of the second praying mantis, which is what they do after they mate. So then she Ew. laid a massive egg sack. <gasps> Gross. So then we started feeding her flies because now we knew better. And then they hatch. So like all the kids on the block come running to like watch this happen, right? And when they come out of the the like tiny egg sack, right? So they're a praying mantis. They're this big. They're like, like you can see that relative to my face. They're that big. They're t- crystal clear, but they're a fully formed praying mantis that's just that tiny. Ew. So they have to like sc- like scatter from the egg sack, and they sit and like dry out, and that's when they turn Ugh. green. But if they don't get far enough away, she eats them because she's hungry. It is mm. the most horrifying like primeval shit i've ever seen in my life and uh, we were like six years old and just like watching the terrarium like as like these these little fuckers are hatching they're crawling over each other they're all sticky they're turning green and she's just like while with the decaying head of their father in the corner of the terrarium And so this is the insect that you feel would best represent you? Mm-hmm. Okay. That's the one that I want to come crawling out of my mouth. A billion baby Ew. praying mantises. They'll be clear and then they'll turn green all over my face and body. Gross, dude. Ew. I am <laughs> going to puke. Ew. Okay, so thank you guys so much for listening to us run our mouths. Please take a second, even if you're driving. We don't give a shit. I'm just kidding. Not if you're driving. Um, (laughs) Please pull over. Rate us (laughs) on iTunes. Please uh, review us on iTunes. Please subscribe, follow, whatever is the appropriate terminology for your favorite, 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 favorite favorite um, <laughs> venue podcast venue uh thank you guys so much tell your friends you know your co-workers and force random people in your car to listen to us and thank you and yeah. thank you Zena. thank you you're so a great much. guest thank you for coming on oh my gosh thank you we girls so you. much i had so much fun i love you and your faces seeing you again you it's too. been so long we had so much fun I hanging know. out together we did well, let's so. do it again we need to okay that would be lovely <laughs> okay and thanks everyone bye love you bye, I love you, bye. Yeah, stop recording everyone